Um, good evening, everyone. Um, so uh, I'm back again with uh, chapter two of uh, part two. Uh, when we um, stopped at uh, you know the first chapter, uh, we were sort of familiarized with Mersot's uh, familiarization with uh, the legal apparatus. Uh, lawyers and magistrates and courts and um, everything and uh, now we're going to see in chapter 2 uh, Mirsaw's life in prison uh, you know remember in the first chapter he said my best times uh, were when I uh, you know was with the magistrate I was able to talk to him and you know he used to slap me on my shoulder and in a very friendly manner called me an antichrist so uh, that was the time when he felt uh, you know he was out of prison and he was out in the open so that gave him much pleasure uh, so now here he's going to talk of his life in the prison in the cell what he felt and uh, there are uh, you know some things that he never liked talking about and he uh, you know still decides to talk about them and what kind of experiences he has while in prison so I am starting just like um, I always do with the opening lines uh, uh, by the way my uh, cat is um, sleeping uh, to my left on a cane chair propped up by two cushions and she really looks um, comfortable uh, looking at her I just feel so envious yeah, that she um, you know doesn't have to um, worry about COVID or about um, completion of syllabi or examination etc so uh, there are some things I've never liked talking about this is how the chapter opens when I went to prison I realized after a few days that I wouldn't like talking about this part of my life okay so we see uh, Mirsol becomes more sharp uh, in in the second part of the novel in expressing his likes and his dislikes and um, as I said, you know, there is going to be more introspection. There's go, there's going to be more understanding of the self. You know, even though in the first chapter of the second uh, part he says, I, I have stopped analyzing myself. But we'd realize that that's far from the truth, and he actually analyzes um, many things about himself and about the world around him. Okay. Um, he says later on, I didn't see any point in being reluctant anymore and um, he says in fact um, I wasn't actually in prison uh, the first few days you know uh, he says I was just vaguely waiting for something to happen so he hasn't been able to uh, you know take in the fact that he's in prison and um, as I told you uh, in you know my uh, the last chapter 6 of uh, uh, part one uh, I told you that waiting constant waiting uh, like the Arabs wait for uh, women's and teas and that waiting on the beach uh, waiting is a very much a part of the philosophy of the absurd uh, you know you wait for something to happen and really nothing happens at all so uh, here again he says I was vaguely waiting for something to happen uh, now here what is significant is Marie coming to visit him in the prison uh, now it was only after Marie's first and only visit 
that it all started you know he decided to live the life of a prisoner after mari came for the first time and that was the last time and then he decided that uh, you know he'd probably have to uh, sort of rearrange his life around uh, the prison walls so um from the first from the day i got her letter uh, and see uh, very significant words telling me that they wouldn't let her come any more because she wasn't my wife you know from that day on uh, i felt that my cell was my home and that my life was at a standstill so you see how um, sort of the the world seems to be conspiring against him and not allowing the woman who gave him that kind of um, uh, you know moral uh, support uh, you know probably but a lot of physical uh, warmth and closeness but the world says you know she's not your wife you know she's your girlfriend or your beloved and uh, more than that maybe she's even the uh, the girlfriend of a criminal now so they said that you can't come and visit him you don't have any reason to visit him so uh, you know part of the whole um, uh, you know absurd uh, an apparatus which prevents two people from meeting because it's you know uh, there is no legality of uh, you know her being uh, the wife of mersault right and he says after that uh, you know life came to a standstill so uh, we realized that mari was a very important part of his life you know so uh, when he says he was first arrested he was put in a room with other prisoners and they most of them were arabs you know so they laughed when they saw him and uh, they asked him what he'd done and uh, in 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 a very uh, uh, you know straightforward poker face manner that uh, mayor salt is used to he says i killed an arab and there was silence you know and then um, everybody was frightened of him when they came to know that he is a murderer and he's not just a murderer he's a murderer of an arab and they were all arabs by the way so um, you know this is how he sort of um, uh, you know stops them from laughing and frightens them and um, then you know he was um, it was getting dark and he was given a mat to sleep he just rolled it there was uh, no pillow there was no uh, you know um, comfort there and uh, this whole idea you know uh, as students of law you talk of um, you know prison justice and uh, you know uh, the the prison manual and the rights of a prisoner etc but we do know that on the ground things are just far from uh, what we would like to ideally believe okay so he says all night i had bugs crawling over my face you know so um, he he couldn't uh, sleep you know it was uh, it was very difficult for him to sleep and um, a few days later he says i was confined uh, to a cell by myself while i slept on a wooden bench right he had a toilet bucket and a tin basin uh, and um, you know there was the prison was right at the top of the town and through his tiny window he could just see the sea now remember mersault has got a great attachment for uh nature and um, you know this is significant because um, this is the only place where probably he can see the world outside right uh, now so one day uh, when he was you know clinging to the bars and pressing his uh, towards the light he wanted to see the sea the warder came and said that there's a visitor and obviously he imagines that it would be marie and marie it was 
Now, uh, to get to the visiting room, you had to go through a long corridor, down some stairs, and finally along another corridor. So, you know, even this is very um, absurd that, you know, uh, you have so few visitors when you're in prison and you have to go a long walk to be able to reach your visitor. And then you see that there are many other people also, uh, you know, meeting uh, their relatives. There is a father, uh, there is a mother and a son who just look each other in silence. There's a lot of noise, uh, you know, there's a husband and wife meeting. And it's like, um, you know, hardly any kind of a... Uh, you know, conducive place actually to be able to meet people you love. No, Marie was surrounded by Moorish women, Arab women, you know, and uh, there was an old lady dressed in black, you know, and a large, uh, you know, bareheaded woman who was talking in a very loud voice. And you know, there was a lot of shouting, there was a lot of din, uh, there was a lot of noise there. So he wanted some peace to be able to actually talk to Marie, you know. And uh, of course, he looked at everything very quickly, and he was just focusing his attention on Marie. Um, you know, already pressed up against the bars, she was smiling at me as hard as she could. You know, just look at the uh, significance of this line. She's pressing her face against the bars, and she's smiling as hard as she could. You know, she is smiling just more than is required, and there is sorrow beneath her face, her eyes, and he, you know, finds something very uh, sad about it, you know. Uh, I thought she looked very beautiful, but I didn't know how to tell her. And remember when he was out of prison, this was what he used to always tell her, you know. He looked beautiful and, um, you know, he found her very attractive, uh, also very sexually tempting. So now uh, the, the environment is such that he can't, he doesn't even know how to tell her something that's very, very, um, you know, very evident. Uh, well, she said in a very loud voice, well, here I am. Are you all right? Have you got everything you want? Yes, everything. Now, even there is irony in this. I mean, how can you ask a prisoner whether he's got everything he wants? Because obviously a prisoner is not supposed to have what he wants, right? So they stopped talking and Marie went on smiling. You know, there was this forced kind of a smile that she... Uh, you know, puts on her face. And um, while they're talking, they see, uh, you know, that um, uh, there was a prisoner, a small man with delicate hands, he was not saying anything. And, you know, he was looking at Marie. And uh, he said, you know, I was looking at her and I wanted to squeeze her shoulders through her dress. You know, remember, um, Mirsault's connection with everybody and the world around him is always physical. It is, uh, you know, through touch or through anything that is sensual. And uh, see, he says, uh, I wanted to feel the soft material. And I didn't quite know what else I was supposed to keep hoping for. You know? So so what he hopes for with Marie is, is uh, you know, perhaps, uh, uh, of course, her company indeed. But then it's, it's beyond that. It's the touch and it's the softness of the dress and that, uh, you know, the, the, the physical remembrances that he has of her. But, uh, you know, um, that must have been what Marie meant because, you know, she was... She was still smiling, and we understand that the smile is absolutely forced, you know. It's not something that she was doing naturally, you know. And uh, she says, you know, you'll get out and we'll get married. Uh, I answered, you think so? Uh, but he was just keeping the conversation going, yes. And then she said, yes, we'd be off and we'd go swimming again. And, you know, she, she wants to... Uh, 
uh, you know sort of tell or promise him that you know they'd be together and uh, you know she you know but she knows that it's it's really not going to be possible you know at that time uh, then he says i was feeling rather ill and i'd have liked to leave right so uh, she now uh, wants to uh, you know get away from mersol it looks like and mersol wants to get away from her there is some kind of a forced kind of theme and uh, marie told me about her work but she never stopped smiling and you know she kept trying to keep up the conversation uh, but uh, now mersol has lost interest you know then uh, the you know there's an old lady who's talk, see, looking at her son there's silence between them and you know it ends with saying goodbye mother and she put her hand through the bars to give him a long slow little wave okay so like marie goes away um uh, even this mother and son they part okay and whenever there's a mother son interaction we always reminded of um, we're always reminded of um, you know mersault and his mother okay so uh, now you know Uh, Marie is um, about, uh, you know, to leave. Then it was my turn. Marie blew me a kiss. I looked round uh, before disappearing. She was standing quite still, with her face against the bars, and wearing the same strange, disjointed smile. Remember, he says this was the first and the last visit. She never came back again, and he never hoped. He never waited. He never expected because, uh, you know, he knew that he is already, uh, uh, you know, a criminal, and probably people are going to want to distance themselves from. uh him and uh marie also when she comes in she also says you know that raymond sends um, you know his gives his regards and we see that raymond never comes to meet him you know and uh, he's the one who actually um you know sort of put up this whole um this whole thing of the crime and the gun and the moorish woman etc but he never comes to see uh, mere salt even once okay so um now she leaves and it was soon after that that she uh, you know wrote to me you know and it was from that point that i'd never liked talking uh, and you know he just felt that uh, he's now has to get used to the prison right uh and he said now let me tell you about some things about my prison life he says the first thing that he you know the first problem that he faced was that he always thought like a free man now look at the beautiful lines you know that he thought like a free man uh you know suddenly he'd want to be on the beach and to be able to walk down to the sea and you know when he just felt those little tiny little waves lapping at his uh, you know little uh, lapping at his feet uh you know and feel the body uh, filled with water and the freedom that he would give Uh, you get you know suddenly he realized how close i was in my prison walls and he says no i am not a free man he says it was terrible to think like a free man you know and that lasted he said only for months after that i thought uh, like a prisoner you know he said i looked forward to my daily walk in the courtyard or to my lawyer's visits you know and uh, there's something very beautiful that he says here these are one of the most beautiful lines of the novel i often thought in those days that even if i had been made to live in a hollow tree trunk with nothing to do but look up at 
the bit of sky overhead i'd gradually have got used to it you know remember this getting used to it comes very often in the novel because it's a part of the philosophy of the absurd you know you you you're fighting the meaninglessness but actually you're in a sense only getting used to everything you know mother got used to the home salamano gets you gets used to his dog um mersol gets used to marie and uh, that's how it just that's how the whole thing um you know really works you know so he also said that he uh you know looked forward to seeing birds fly or clouds run together as he would be you know very um you know curious to meet his lawyer etc you know and um and then you know he used to wait for saturdays to embrace marie's body he's thinking of the life that he had when he was free and it's a kind of a you know uh, it's very tormenting but he says it's only lasts for a very uh, short while okay uh, and then what happens uh, you know he says you know that there were other people who were unhappier than him also and he you know uh, says something which is very very significant something which is very philosophical he says anyway Uh, it was an idea of mothers and she often used to repeat it that you end up getting used to everything you know so he says he's just repeating his mother's lines which says that you know you get used to everything and that's how life is about you know so it's not being happy it's not being unhappy but it's just use being get just getting used to everything because that's repeated so often there is no escape from it and you sort of get used to it okay um so then uh, uh, you know then uh, he also says that um, uh, there was another thing which he uh, found very problematic and was that uh, he had a tormenting desire for a woman you know uh, that was only natural he said i was a young man i never thought specifically of marie he said you know i only thought i was just thinking about a woman you know about women in general about the ones i'd known and on the occasions when i'd loved them you know so here he uses the word a love you know which is very unusual okay he never even tells marie that he loved her but then he thinks of women and he says uh, when he thinks of women he thinks of uh, you know sexual desire and he says that that's that, that very normal right uh so he says in one way that unsettled him it disturbed him but he says in another way it really um, helped him because it killed time you know he said the most difficult thing to do in prison was to pass time you know so uh, uh you know uh, he ended up making friends with the chief warder who used to come with you know with the meals uh, along with the kitchen boy so he was the first one who he spoke to about women you know he says i think we need uh, you know women we need to have sex i mean that's so important and he told me that you know it was the first thing that all men complained about you know and we um, you know talk of um, you know the sexual urge as being so very essential so very central to a you know human being's life etc and i told him that you know i was like them and that i thought we were treated unfairly and yes he said you know his reply is very interesting he says but that's precisely why you put in prison and mesh also said i didn't understand what he meant he says what do you mean well of course he said freedom that's why you're deprived of your freedom because that's what's supposed to be done you uh, you know committed a crime so you're deprived of your freedom and mesh said i never thought of it that way you know then uh, he says you know otherwise if you're given all the freedom then you won't be having any kind of punishment you know right you understand things you do the others don't 
you know so uh, but they end up doing it by themselves you know the warden left after that okay so we understand how <coughs> you know the sexual urge being uh, you know something that's you know very uh, intrinsic especially you know in places where it's suppressed like in prisons and you know all boys and all girls boarding schools <coughs> you know uh, places like that I mean uh, if you've seen the film uh, you know the Shawshank Redemption you'd um, you know see how yeah, you know this kind of you know, sodomy sexual exploitation between the you know prisoners especially male uh, sorry senior older ones against the young you know it, it's just very very common so um, all these kind of things you know springing from that uh, you know suppression of, of, of uh, sexual outlet right so um, Mayor Salt now obviously sort of understands that you know we're not being given the freedom because we are criminals he says the second thing that he really missed was cigarettes you know he was so addicted to cigarettes that uh, you know you know of course when he went to prison they took away his belt his shoelaces his tie and his cigarettes right and he says it was so hard for him to be without cigarettes that he used to break bits of wood from his bed plank and he used to suck suck them you know and he felt permanently sick all day you know he was suffering from you know what we call withdrawal symptoms the cold turkey which you know drug addicts you know generally suffer from and uh, you know later on he realized that even that was part of his punishment not having you know any cigarettes to smoke so but by the time I got used to not smoking so for me it was no longer a punishment so you know this whole idea of not uh, smoking and not wanting to smoke why because he says I just got used to it you know so part of the philosophy of the absurd getting used to you know everything right so uh, he says there were another few annoyances and one was that he was not able to kill time and that was very very you know difficult for him right so what would he do you know just like uh, you know a, a very absurd activity he would just keep looking at the room and uh, making a mental note of everything every object every detail looking at the furniture the design of the furniture and uh, you know he says by the end I could just spend hours just looking at the room and just describing them mentally you know so absurd an activity but he says what does a prisoner do you know and then um, and the more I thought about it the more things I dug out of my memory that I hadn't noticed before I had forgotten about remember I told you uh, this is uh, mere salt going to look inward you know digging out his memories things that he never thought about and this a very beautiful line one of the most beautiful lines of the novel I realized that a man who'd only lived for a day could easily live for a hundred years in a prison he'd have enough memories not to get bored in a way that was a good thing so he says like if you lived even for one year or uh, one day as a free man you could live a hundred years in prison because he says you know and it comes to the fact that you know probably uh, there is so much of uh, preciousness uh, you know in uh, a life of uh, you know in a life of uh, freedom okay so that's what he uh, thinks about and uh, that's what he thinks about uh, you know when he's evaluating his life in um, prison and um, the annoyance of course of, of, of killing time then another thing was sleeping he wasn't able to sleep um, and during the first few months you know it was very very uh, difficult and then 
during the last few months you know his investigation lasts for 11 uh, months uh, he was able to sleep 16 to 18 hours a day you know so that left me six hours to kill with my meals my bodily functions my memories and the story of the czechoslovakian uh, now the story is also very um, in, you know absurdly interesting and uh, he spends a lot of time reading the story over and over and over again you know so you see a, a repetition you know the same thing being done over and over again you know much like um, you know sisyphus you know who i uh, and i referred to um, in my earlier lectures you know so he says between my mattress and my bed plank uh, he actually found an old scrap of um, newspaper uh, which had gone yellow and transparent and was almost stuck you know so it was a small news story and uh, the story is very very um, absurd because it's something that you can't imagine could ever happen and he reads this over and over again and he makes his own analysis which is also very witty which is also very funny and which is also very absurd sometimes you know for the readers so he says you know this is a story that he read uh, you know about Czechoslovakian man um, the beginning was missing but it must have taken place in Czechoslovakia uh, you know there was a man who had left some Czech village uh, to go uh, and make his fortune right now uh, he left very young 25 years later he'd come back rich you know with a wife and a child his mother and his sister were running a hotel in his native village now he wanted to surprise them so he comes uh, to the you know hotel uh, and he actually uh, you know he had gone to see his mother who hadn't recognized him when he'd walked in obviously because he was he left as a very small child just for fun you know what he did he, he decided to book a room and he you know obviously shown the mother and the daughter the money and during the night his mother and his sister they clubbed him to death with a hammer so they could steal his money and then they threw his body into the river the next morning the wife had come you know along and uh, without realizing she revealed the identity of her husband the mother hanged herself sister had thrown herself down a well i must have read the story thousands of times now look at the absurdity of the story you know uh, uh, you know a surprise going horribly wrong you know very close relatives not recognizing their own son and their own brother and he getting clubbed and the mother hanging herself the sister jumping into the river absolutely tragic you know and having no head or no tail but he says i kept reading this over and over again and uh, look at his judgment of the story on the one hand it was improbable you know that's why i keep saying that it was absurd it's almost something that you know can't happen you know how, how can such a thing happen on the other it was quite natural he says obviously nobody no one recognized one another and you know who wanted to surprise his mother so um anyway look at the judgment he says, i decided that the traveler had deserved a trailing and that you should never play around says, look at where salt is saying that why do you want to play such foolish games with people um, for which you have to suffer right so um I, that's how he you know and uh, you know passes judgment and this <coughs> story sometimes comes as a short note for your exam you know? so it's an incident which you should know and uh, the, the story is otherwise it seems so 
you know silly but then it's also part of the whole uh, thing that you know even the mother and the uh, sister were not able to recognize their own um, son and uh, brother you know so uh, then he said you know he had read somewhere that you you know really lose track of time in prison and uh, <clears throat> he he says i understood how you know days could be both long and short at the same time long to live through i suppose but so distended that they ended up flowing into one another beautiful yes one day flows into another and you just can't keep track of time you know um that, that's how it is so difficult to spend time in prison they lost their names the words yesterday and tomorrow were the only ones that still meant something to me so it was only yesterday and tomorrow so the immediate past and the immediate future yes all right although we understand that uh, we understood past and future in terms of regret and hope but this is not that kind of hope it's more understanding time in in terms of something which is very close something which has happened and something which is going to happen right so um then you know one day um, i mean the warden uh, told him that it's been uh, he he was there for five months and i believed it but i didn't understand it yes remember the naive hero you know trying to understand uh, things which are beyond his understanding or trying to describe rather things which he doesn't understand so he says i believed it but i didn't understand you know for me <clears throat> it was forever the same day that i was spinning in out uh, in and out of my cell and um, the same task that i was pursuing you know so he said that day after the warden le- left i uh, looked at my face and my tin plate you know and just look at these beautiful lines my reflection seemed to stay serious even when i tried to smile at it you know so he says i think i was a changed man i'm smiling but i can see my reflection as a uh, you know a man who was serious you know and uh, you know so this disconnect completely this detachment between uh, what he sees of himself and what he's feeling inside you know and uh, he shook the plate up and down but he find that the found that the face still looked sad and severe severe serious you know so it was the end of the day uh, that part i don't like talking about the nameless part you know when you have to go and there's so much of silence you know and uh, he goes to the little skylight he looks at the fading light and i had another look at my reflection it was still serious and what was surprising about that uh, uh, you know that when at that point i was serious too then he says yeah now even i'm serious and he says uh, you know now when i'm serious uh, i thought that probably it showed that i'm looking um, happy because that was act- you know that was opposite of what we was uh, was what was actually happening you know uh and you know but at that same moment and for the first time in several months i clearly heard the sound of my own voice see uh, i keep telling you about how mirsol is looking inwards you know examining his own face his reflection his thoughts and he says i could hear my own voice you know for the first time in so many months you know uh, and i'm ending with um, the line chapter i recognized at uh, i recognized it as the one that had been ringing in my ears for days on end and i realized that at that time i'd been talking to myself he says see i never thought that actually this voice that's in my head is my own and he says i'm talking to myself you know so 
<coughs> he sort of trying to come to terms with who he is, what he is, and, and what's really going on in his life. I then remembered what the nurse said at mother's funeral. Remember, I've often gone back to that uh, conversation he had with the nurse. The nurse said that if you walk fast, or you know, uh, and if you walk slowly, if you walk fast, you catch a, have a sunstroke. If you watch, walk slowly, by the time you reach the church, you catch a chill. So he says, you know, both options or, or both, uh, you know, things in life are, uh, you know, not necessarily going to give you any kind of relief. You know. No, there was no way out and no one can imagine what the evenings in prison are like. So he says the most difficult time to spend in the prison was in the evening, you know, when, uh, you know, there was sort of a transition, uh, you know, night hadn't come and uh, you didn't know what to do, you were completely lonely. So you see, uh, introspection is a very important part of this, um, you know, the second part of the novel and this chapter particularly, you know, right, it foreshadows or it brings, uh, you know, it makes as a sort of a background, you know, Mirsol's final fate, you know, and uh, what does Mirsol do? He's concentrating on a single entity, you know, whether it's a Czechoslovakian story or, you know, his furniture, etc. But actually he is uh, concentrating on that absolute entity of him being a stranger. You know, uh, he's so uh, alien to his own face in that plate. He's so alien to his own voice and his ears, which were ringing for so many months, and he didn't recognize it. So complete detachment, naive hero, and a sort of uh, yet a, a sort of a great sense of understanding and introspection about who he is and. Uh, you know, what kind of desires he had and also recognizing how probably there were beautiful world that he'd left, you know, the world with Marie and the world of that, you know, uh, those, you know, the waves, you know, little waves uh, you know, playing at his feet and, uh, you know, the pleasure of smoking, the pleasure of having sex. Everything is like, uh, you know, uh, they were very important pleasures which he never thought about when he was living in the world. And that's what he said, you know, even if you live for one day, um, you know, in this world, you can live for a hundred years in prison. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, you know, these things have to be sort of, you know, absorbed and, and thought about, and uh, you know, understand Mirsolt, you know, from those perspectives. So, um, I mean, I hope you're understanding and also enjoying, um, you know, the podcast. So, um, after this, we'll be just left with. Um, uh, you know, a few more chapters left, and then uh, we'd be able to have some um, uh, discussions as well. Thank you, thank you for your patience. And uh, by the way, uh, my cat is still fast asleep, and she's buried her face in her paws. Good night.